Good morning, church. Before I start, I uh, had a communication with Larry Schmidt this morning, and uh, he said how much he misses you all and to be sure to tell you hi. So for Larry and Jerry, hi. Um, I seldom have so much trouble preparing a sermon, and the only the reason I can account for all the trouble I had with this one is that Satan does not want me to give it. So I'm excited about what God's going to do this morning. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are blessed to come to your feet, to sit at your feet, and receive from you that which you have for us. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Help us to open our ears and our hearts to hear what you're saying. We give you the praise and the thanks, even now in advance, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's not in your notes, but I want to open with a scripture from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which, also, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Andrew, would you go back to the first, uh, two five, please? Verse five of that. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's important. And, we, and, and this scripture talks a lot about obedience and humility and sacrifice. But it also refers to something else. It refers to knowing who we are in God. And that is so critical. So very, very important to know who we are in God. Slide two, please, Andrew, of the PowerPoint. Last week, Daryl spoke about remembering God's faithfulness and goodness to us. We could say that we were encouraged to look back in order to remember God's mighty works on our behalf. This morning, I'm going to speak on perspective. We could say that I want to encourage us to look forward in order to expect God's mighty works 
on our behalf. Having the correct perspective, as I just said, is crucial to living the victorious Christian life. One author described it, uh, perspective as seeing through God's eyes. I would go a little further and say that our perspective of who God is affects how we will walk this Christian journey. For instance, if I see God as disinterested in the affairs of men, then I may not expect God to work on my behalf in the future. However, if I see God as a loving father who's intimately involved in my life, well, then I may well expect God to do great things for and through me. We have been reminded a number of times about Peter walking on the water as described in Matthew 14 verses 22 through 23 as keeping our eyes on Jesus so our faith does not falter. And I would not disagree with that at all. But I think there's more there than just that. For example, I have over the years prayed for a number of gravely ill saints. They died. I could have determined in my mind that God doesn't hear my prayers or that God doesn't heal his saints anymore or that God failed them and me. But instead, I choose to believe that the issue is somehow with me, not with God. I believe that God's word is true. And therefore, I look back into God's word for more revelation and understanding of how to pray in a manner that God will respect and therefore obtain God's results. If I allow my perspective, my looking forward to be based on my past experiences, I may well believe that God will not hear my prayers and will not heal those I pray for. <coughs> That's kind of what Peter did. He looked at the circumstances. He remembered how impossible it is to walk on water. I'm sure he'd been in the water many times and not on top of it. And when he remembered how impossible it was, he began to sink. If I believe what God's word says, nothing is impossible to me. That's what Matthew 17, 20 declares. Our perspective is influenced much more by our past experience than we think. I don't know why, but when I was a child, I was teased and rejected by other children at school. I wasn't fat then, but perhaps it was my last name or maybe my ears, I don't know. Or maybe the fact that I wore glasses. <coughs> Excuse me. I felt unaccepted by all except for my family. I became introverted timid, and expected rejection. So when I was told that God loved me and accepted me, I was very skeptical. You can ask the person from Jews from Jesus. I'm walking across the campus. He stops, gets right in my way. I move over to the left. He moves over. 
He says, do you have a minute for the brother, Lord? And I, or for the Lord, brother? And so I'd pull up my watch. And I said, you now have 59 seconds. I let him talk for 59 seconds. And then I brushed him aside and walked right past him. Wasn't even interested in what he had to say. Because I didn't believe that God would accept me. Now, I would be the first to confess that I'm not perfect. And I will also confess that I have battled against the spiritual attacks of the devil, trying to convince me how unacceptable and unlovable I am. I would expect nothing different from the one that comes to kill, steal, and destroy my life and my destiny by trying to push the perception, my perception, that God could not love me. First John chapter 4, verse 19 says, We love him because he first loved us. If we are not rooted and grounded in God's love, we cannot respond back to him in love. I don't believe, if I don't believe that I'm loved by God, how can I really love myself? Oh yeah, I'm still on my throne in my pre, in my BC days, before Christ days. I'm still on my throne, I'm still number one. But I don't really love myself. I may not even like myself. But I can't really love myself until I know God's love. And if I can't love myself, how can I love you? Especially if my perception is one that I'm going to be rejected at every turn. And I'm not saying I feel that way today. I'm just saying that I need to receive God's love, to be built up. I need to be rooted and grounded in God's love <coughs> so that I can truly love myself. If I love myself, I won't do things that hurt me. I will do things that bless me. I will be obedient. I will be humble. And if I love myself, then I have the love of God to extend and love you. But it all starts with being rooted and grounded in God's love. So how do we move from feeling unaccepted and unloved to being loved beyond measure and accepted by the king of all kings? Can you imagine just being able to walk into the White House whenever you want? President says, whether you like him or not, president says, hey, Wayne, good to see you. I'm glad you're here. How you doing? Come along anytime. I always enjoy seeing your presence. I always like to see you. I always like to talk with you. Well, it's not the president. It's the king above all kings. It's the creator of this entire universe. Who says, hi, Wayne, come on in. I'm glad to see you. I love talking with you. I love your presence. How do we move to that type of 
being rooted and grounded in God's love. I would like to suggest it's through first selective remembering and truthful perspective. Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 13, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I think Paul would be one of the first ones to remind us of God's works on behalf of Israel in the past. I think Paul would be the first one to remind us of God's works in his life. I don't think Paul is speaking about forgetting about what God has done for us, but rather forgetting our past condition, (coughs) our sins, our failures, who we were before Christ. Forgetting those things, and in conjunction with this selective forgetting, reaching forth to things ahead not bound by our past experience. Who you were is not who you are. What you did yesterday doesn't have to be what you do today. What does God say? Micah 7, 19. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Hebrews 8, 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, their sins and iniquities. I will remember no more. So if God chooses not to remember our sins, or our failures anymore, then who are we to remember them? If God doesn't hold us accountable or responsible or guilty before him for those things, why do we allow Satan to come and tell us that we are guilty and unlovable and unaccepted by God the Father and that the things that happened in the past are our future? They are not. They don't have to be. Not in your notes, and I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly where it is in Deuteronomy. Excuse me. But it says, this day I set before you curses and blessings. Pardon? Deuteronomy 28. 28. That's right. Thank you, Daryl. Curses for disobedience. Blessings for obedience. So what it says to me is I can be in the very same situation and there can be two outcomes. One can be a curse and the other can be a blessing. Now I would like to suggest that the scripture teaches that our obedience isn't doing everything right but it's having faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Faith 
pleases God. You remember the scripture where uh, God says, enough, I'm tired of your offerings. I'm tired of bull's blood and, 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 and enough. This is true religion. To care for the widows and the orphans. It's not about doing the right things. It's about having the right heart. But we cannot be successful at that unless we are rooted and grounded in God's love for me, for you individually. Until each one of us is convinced beyond any shadow of a doubt that God loves us no matter what, that the blood of Jesus is enough to cause us to be acceptable to the king of all kings. We will not be able to achieve our destiny, the plans that God has made for us. <clears throat> However, as Daryl amply proved last Sunday, we are to remember God's works on our behalf in the past. So strengthened by the faith that comes from the knowledge of God's goodness and faithfulness to us in the past, we are to reach forward to those things which are ahead. And we reach forward, how we reach forward is dependent on our perspective of God, who he is, and his relationship with us. Excuse me. James penned in James 1.6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. How can we ask in faith when we are not reaching forward with a perspective of faith that comes from knowing that we know that we know that God loves us? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, by the way, that's a lot of riches, to be strengthened with might, Dunamis, dynamite, through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God being filled with the fullness of God. When I pray for the sick, when I'm filled with the fullness of God, I believe they will be healed just as they would if Jesus prayed for them. He says we are strengthened with might through God's spirit in our inner man. 
so that being rooted and grounded in God's love for us, we may be able to comprehend, experience, and personally know how overwhelming, how undefinable his love is for you and for me. And why? In order that we may be filled with the fullness of God. You know, I believe that this is where the battle occurs in the inner man, in the spirit. James continues in chapter 1, verses 23 through 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. We look into the word and we see what kind of people we are AD, after Christ, AC, after Christ. But then we go out into the word, world and immediately we forget who we really are. Why is that? Why is that? It's part of our sanctification. We grow in it as we practice it, as we force ourselves to remember, as we practice to remember who we are in Christ and how much God loves us. We grow in remembering who we are. And in remembering who we are, we can then reach forward in faith grounded and rooted in God's love to do his will here on earth. That's why Paul could not reach forth without selectively forgetting his past. Who you were is not who you are. Who Paul was or is, was well, it's not who he was. So what does the Bible say about our perspective? Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Set your minds on the thing above, things above, not on the things of the earth. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, think on these things. So when there's a crisis in your life and the circumstances tell you it's going to end in disaster, does that line up with God's perspective that we just read here? If there's anything of virtue, anything praiseworthy? No. So obviously, those thoughts are not the right perspective. And they're not the perspective of who we are as Christians. So we have to stand up, proclaim God's word, choose to believe God's word, take on God's perspective, how he sees the situation, which I guarantee you is a lot different than how you see it. 
and reach forward in faith to receive the blessings of God. Jeremiah 29. For I know the thoughts that I have, think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not evil. To give you a future and a hope. If your thoughts in a crisis aren't giving you a future and a hope, you need to get down on your knees. You need to go back to the word. And spiritually kick the enemy Cause him to flee. Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It, you know, when Jesus said it's finished, there's nothing more to say. It's finished. It's done. God has vindicated, cleansed, declared us not guilty. All those things of the past have been thrown into the sea as far away as the east is from the west. And he has adopted us as his children. Romans 8, verse 37 through 39. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think that is an all-consuming statement. Nothing's left. God loves you. Settled. Done. Nothing can get in the path or in the way or, or change that. Advent is, designed, is defined as a coming a season of devotion with reference to the coming of Christ in the flesh and his second coming to judge the world. We can say that Advent is a looking forward and preparing for Jesus' coming. And in fact, Advent includes looking backward at the birth of our Savior in order to look forward to celebrate both his birth and his second coming. Advent is a wonderful opportunity to adjust and reset our perspective of God's plan for us and to look forward with expectancy to Christ's work in our life. All right, so what about you? What is your perspective where you are today, what you're facing today? Do you see yourself as God sees you? Do you see your relationship with God as he sees his relationship with you? I have to be honest, preparing the sermon was eye-opening for me. Maybe that's part of the struggle. It was just as eye-opening as when I went through the Truth Project and realized, 
how off-center my focus was, my, my, my worldview was. I once again discovered that my perspective needs improving. It's a long ways from where it was, but it's not where it needs to be. The exciting news is that God is on our side. He desires that we should see our relationship the same way as he sees it. So I encourage you during this Advent season, look ahead to what your life will look like when you have God's perspective and cooperate with the Holy Spirit to bring your perspective into God's focus. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, always in the name of Jesus, and only in the name of Jesus we come, knowing that your ear is inclined toward us and your heart is open to us. And Father, while we cannot comprehend the hugeness of your love for us, we are so grateful that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet your enemies, you sent Jesus to die in our place, to take our sin and iniquity from us, to make us your sons and your daughters. Father, we repent for not having your perspective. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts and in our understanding, in our inner man, to show us, Father, your view, your perspective on the things that we face, knowing that we don't face them alone, but we face them with you.